Awesome. Well, my name is Marshall Peterson, and I'm pumped to be here during our Abnormal series. Now, this week, I'm talking about this series with my kids, and my son asked me, well, what does abnormal mean? And I'm like, well, it's just uh, weird, not normal, different. And I think that exactly describes the year that we're going through, and we haven't even hit July yet. So um, I found this thing that is kind of giving us a summary of what has happened so far, and it even predicts what's going to happen for the rest of the year. So y'all look at this, this calendar. So we had the Australia fires. We had uh, locusts in Africa. We're currently in the pandemic, okay? June, we've had protests. Uh, next month, we should have a solar flare. Um, and then August, Yellowstone, gone, all right? Um, aliens are going to show up September-ish. I'm thinking New York. That's usually what happens in the movies. Um, and then in October, November, another pandemic. It could be Corona, Modelo. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, and then December, instead of fireworks at New Year's, we're going to go with an asteroid. Jesus, come take us now. All right. But, and I know this is true, y'all. I found this on the internet. So anything you find on the internet is obviously true. But it's an understatement, isn't it? It's an understatement for this year being called abnormal because we're going through some stuff, aren't we? Everybody, no matter who you are in this room, we're going through some stuff. It could be dealing with the virus, you've lost your job, financial things are just uncertain. We don't know what is going to happen, but all we know is that this, this year has been very abnormal. And to the point to just where we really got a question like, God, what are you doing? Like, where are you right now? Like, what is going on? Because there have just been times when things just kind of roll up over and over and over where I'm just thinking, okay, God, it seems like too much right now. It seems like too much is going on. Uh, what are you even doing right now? Because I know for me personally, it's just been a very difficult year. I know as a church, we've just been struggling with some stuff the past few months, and it's just taken a toll on me. I lost my grandmother and uncle in a, like a month span. Just so many things. And that's just on top of like the regular life stresses that have been going on. I mean, we've been cooped up for a long time. Now, I got to ask too, I mean, the, the truth is that everybody has their own timeline. And I got to ask this, who in here was responsible for parenting your child? Yep. Raise your hand. Okay. Keep your hands raised. Everybody look at somebody who, parent, who homeschooled their child and just clap for them. Clap for them. It's summertime, y'all. We made it. All right. We had the longest spring break in the history of the world, and now it's summer. That means no more Zoom calls, no more turning in assignments. Now we get to travel. We get to go to theme parks. Oh, guess what? This year is abnormal. They're all closed. You get three more months at home with your babies. But seriously, though, it's, it's, the grandparents are there, I'm like, that's perfect. I love that. But we are going through some stuff because you have your own timeline. 2020, you have your own 2020 timeline. And maybe it, was, it started in 2019. Maybe you can track it back. But it's a timeline that's filled with hurt, with pain, with betrayal, with financial uncertainty, with you don't know what's going to happen. Things that we're dealing with in our country right now. Racism has impacted friendships, conversations, how you look at people. All these things are just piling up and piling up to that this world, this life, this year is extremely challenging. And it's abnormal. And so we have to ask the question, okay, well, well what is this? Because I, I want to give you a word that just defines what we're going through right now. This, this word is called a trial. It's a trial. Now, what is a trial? A trial is something that tests you who you are as a person. I'm not talking about a courtroom trial with a judge and jury. 
But this is a trial that tests who we are as a person. Now, trials can be a big trial. It can be a small trial. It could be a trial that you created for your own life. It could be a trial that somebody else created for your life. Trials come in all shapes and sizes. It could be from stubbing your toe to hearing the words, you have cancer. It could be the, the, the trial or the stress of, of planning a wedding to the trial of your spouse isn't coming back. A trial that you don't like your kid's first grade teacher, so you don't like who's in charge of the country, who, how they're doing stuff. All these things are considered a trial because they're testing who we are and what we're going through. So the question is, the question is, how do we respond to these trials? How do we get through these trials? Because I do think that there's a normal way. There's a normal way that people respond to trials. And a lot of times it's anger. Maybe it's addiction, confusion, frustration, brokenness, pain, hurt. But what if there was an abnormal way? What if there was a way that we could get through these trials and actually thrive and flourish in our lives? Now, last week we started this series called Abnormal, and Kenny did an incredible job. He taught on one of the more difficult passages, so if you miss it, man, be sure to go online to bridge.me and check that out because it's absolutely incredible. And because we're walking through the book of James, the book of James. Now, James was the younger brother of Jesus. Think about the pressure of that. Now, I've got to ask, I'm a younger brother. Where are my younger siblings in the room? Where am I? Yes, we're the best, aren't we? Like, aren't our older siblings usually more chaotic and rebellious in spirit? I mean, you know how firstborns are, okay? Firstborns, it's okay. I love y'all too. No perfect people. But listen, James is the younger brother of Jesus. And look how he opens up this book. Look what he says. This is James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all my younger siblings, have you ever thought about calling your older sibling Lord? Heck no. We have other words that we're not going to say because we're in church right now. But we're not doing that. But look what James is doing. He is setting up because in this book, he is going to tell us a lot of things. He is going to tell us a lot of how to do certain things. And some of it is going to push some buttons. But he's saying, I'm doing it under the authority of the Lord Jesus. And who is he writing to? To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Hello. How are you? He's writing to a group of, of Christ followers, different churches who are scattered everywhere. And these different people who were scattered, these Christians, they were going through 2020 on steroids. Their life was a constant trial. They're being hunted down by the Roman government because of their faith. They're being persecuted by Jewish leaders because of their faith. They're being talked about behind their backs and defamed by their friends because of their faith. And that was all done without Facebook. They just constantly going through stuff. And so we're going to look at James chapter 1. Now, I can't cover everything in James 1 because, honestly, we could spend six weeks on James 1. Relax, we're not going to do that. We're going to get through it today. But there are over 15 commands just in this first chapter alone. And James is really going to lay out how to live an abnormal Christian faith. He is going to give us very practical, very tangible things so that when we walk out of the room today, we're going to have some stuff to do. We're going to have some stuff in taking on this trial that is called 2020. And he gets started. He comes firing right out of the gate. Are y'all ready? Online, you ready? Give me clap emojis. Here we go. 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now look, consider it joy, James? What? Are you kidding me? Joy. That's the word you wanted to go to. With every, did you not hear the list of things that we're dealing with, James? And you want me to consider it joy? How do you do that? How are we supposed to consider it joy when everything that we're talking about just seems to happen over and over? There's not a good phone call. There's not a good staff meeting. But James says consider it joy because look at that first word there, consider. Consider means to reframe, rethink. When you have different trials, rethink about how you're going to approach this. Because he says, consider it all joy, all. Every time we go through a trial is an opportunity to have joy. Consider it all joy. And here's the most encouraging word, when. Here, go back. When you encounter various trials. That's not an if, that's a when it happens. We can't run from our trials. We can't run from troubled times. We can't talk them out of happening. No, they are going to happen. In fact, Jesus says in John 16, he says, you will have trouble in this world. Paul, throughout all the New Testament says, we are going to have difficult seasons. And guess what James says? And when your world's falling apart, consider it joy. That, that's abnormal, isn't it? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't make sense. That sets us apart from every other person, every other faith, to consider it joy when you encounter various trials. But what James is going to do here, he's building a case for joy. He's building a case to have an abnormal life during difficult times. Look what he starts with in verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith, because remember what a trial is. It's a test. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, when we're tested for something, you see kind of where you stand, right? When you're in school, you, you, you're given this knowledge, you're tested. How much did you retain? And when we are tested with troubling times, you really see where somebody is in their faith. Because some people, when, when difficult times come up, they don't really consider God. They might check out. They disengage from God. They run away. They shut down. And you see where they are in their faith because they're considering something else. Other people, man, you see them when, when difficult times come, they drop to their knees in prayer. They, they can't wait to come to church to worship. They, they desire community. They just want to be around other believers. They want to use their situation to bless other people even though the ground is shrinking beneath them. You see where they are in their faith. And what James is saying here, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The Greek word for endurance is hupomene. Everybody say hupomene. Or just look at me weirdly because it's a weird word. It's fine. On the chat, text to see if who can spell it right, okay? Hupomene, it means patience. We are to patiently endure the trials because it builds endurance. Let me explain it to you like this. This is not something that I would ever do because I uh, have a driver's license, but if I were to run a marathon... runners y'all I don't understand y'all if I were to run a marathon 26.2 miles at this current stage I would never just show up on race day and say oh yeah let's go for a little jog no I would die how you prepare for a marathon which I've heard because I've never done it myself but I have weird friends who who do that 
They start off with running a mile. Then the next day they go a little farther, then a little farther, and it gets more and more difficult so that they build up their endurance all the way until they get to that 26.2 miles, and then they show up on race, race day, and they are able to get through it. They are able to run because they have built up their endurance. It's a process. It takes time. So you think about your life. If you consider yourself a Christ follower and you, you lean on Jesus and God to get you through difficult times, the things that stressed you out in elementary school no longer stress you out. When some punk tried to take your snack pack, that's not a big deal right now as an adult. But then as, you know, as we get older, our problems get more complicated. You get out of elementary school, then you enter middle school and high school, and you're dealing with boyfriends and girlfriends, and then you got to graduate, and you got to pick a college, and you got to pick a job and a spouse. They get more and more difficult, but it's almost like each trial, each season, each stressful thing that we go through builds our faith a little bit, builds our faith. So James says, you can, you can be encouraged by that because you know there's a purpose, and he's really going to make a case for an abnormal life in this next part. And let endurance have its perfect result. He says, let, let endurance, allow it. Be okay with it taking over. Because when we allow it, we say, okay, I'm no longer in control here. I can't control my circumstance. I'm gonna allow God to do what he's going to do. I'm going to allow God to work through this difficult time, to walk with me in this difficult time. You see, an abnormal life, an abnormal faith is a life of submission. We are constantly relying, depending on God. Because, 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 this is what he's doing. So that, there's a reason. Anytime you see so that in the Bible, in the Bible it's telling you the reason. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That means every trial, every trouble that we go through, God is working to build us for perfection. He is preparing us for eternity. He is making us more like himself. And yes, it's difficult and it's tricky, but it, it goes for a purpose. And here's the great thing. The great part is that we have a goal. We have something to strive for, and that's found in verse 12. Look what he says. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, we're, we're striving for something, the crown of life, a symbol of victory over trial in our life. Blessed is the person, when you get through that trial, you get victory. You receive victory. Now, I'm very salty this month because it's 2020, and I have waited four years for the Olympics. And because COVID showed up, just kidding, you don't get it this year. So I'm bringing the Olympics to you guys, okay? Now, whenever I think of the Olympics, I think of this cat right here. My man, Michael Phelps. Every four years, we learned about his training routine, his diet, and the thousands of calories that he consumed a day. And then when we watched him dominate in the pool, it was amazing. And we saw what all his work, all his effort, all the pain, all the exhaustion that he went through, he was then awarded some blame, a lot of it. 
In fact, he had to work out just to put them all on his neck. I just made that up, but it makes sense. He was awarded gold medals, silver medals, bronze medals. We are awarded the crown of life. Because when we live a life of submission, even though it's difficult, even though it's painful, even though it hurts, we know that we are working towards something. We have something much higher than just our personal comfort. So James says, man, consider it joy. Because when you live a life of submission, the end result is the crown of life. It's victory. It's overcoming everything. Perfection, not lacking anything. That's something to be joyful about. But James also warns us against the normal lifestyle that unfortunately we probably relate to a little bit more because this is how he says the normal side of things usually works out. Look at James 1.13. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So a lot of times when we get in trouble or we're tempted or we're doing something naughty or whatever it is, do we like to take responsibility? Heck no. We want to blame. We want to say, well, that person, you know, tricked me into doing all these things. Or that per- and, and then the problem is, if we don't have anybody to blame, what do we do? God tricked me. God was messing with me. He was doing all this. And listen, God's used to the blame game, okay? In fact, the first two people he created played the blame game hardcore. Because Adam and Eve, they're doing their thing, you know, they're naked in the garden, and God said, look, you can eat anything you want. You can go anywhere you want. Only thing I'm going to ask, don't eat this one fruit from this tree. Just don't do it. Anything else, though, free reign. So what do Adam and Eve do? Oh, this tree looks good. And they get busted, and God calls them on it. And what's the first thing that Adam says to him? Well, the woman you gave me, God, she gave me the fruit. So he's throwing Eve under the bus. He's trying to come at God. When let's not let Adam forget in chapter 2 of Genesis, when Eve showed up on the scene, he was like, thank God she didn't have fur or gills. This girl is fine. He said, at last, this girl was made for me. And the first sign of trouble comes up. It was her. She did it. You gave her to me. That's really, if you want to get technical, it's your fault that I ate the tree. The fruit, not the whole tree. <laughs> and then what does Eve do? Eve does the same thing. It was this weird talking snake thing that, that, that tricked me. We play the blame game. But what we see here is very clear. God doesn't tempt anyone. God doesn't have evil to put in our lives so we can't blame God. And so James says, listen, since we got that out of the way, let's find the source of the evil in our hearts. And 14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. It's on us. We have these these desires. We have our own agendas, our own wants our own what we think are needs, our own entitlements, what we deserve. And Satan knows that. It's different for everyone. Our enemy knows us very well, and he baits us very well. How many of y'all like fishing in here? Any, any fishermen, fisherwomen in here? Yep. 
Not that many, but it'll work, okay? Fishing's not complicated, is it? You go to the pond or lake or ocean, whatever your, your deal is, and you know what kind of fish you want to catch, and so you, you put the bait on the hook, right? You put the bait on there, something that's shiny, might be a spinnerbait, crankbait, worm, stink bait, whatever you want to do, and you throw it out in the water, and the fish is in there, you know, doing its thing, and oh, something shiny. Oh, something that looks good. I'm going to come in close. And then they grab that bait. Well, then guess what? There's a hook there too. And then we, you know, reel it in, drag them away, take a picture, dinner served. Let's go. Fishing. Let's do it today, y'all. Satan uses the same tactics with us. Comes out, maybe he's got a hook called lust on there. And he baits it with porn, flirty coworker, somebody at the gym. So that we come in and we're thinking, that looks nice, that looks nice, that looks nice. We take that bite and then bam, we're hooked. We're dragged away. Maybe your, your hook is greed. You come out, I want, I want it for myself. I want it all. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm gonna steal, I'm gonna get this, it's mine. I want it all for me. I want first dibs. We come in and we think, yes, yes, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then, poof, snatched. Greed's taking us away. Now we have nothing and nobody trusts us. What about this one? Pride. I'm the best. I've got this. My way is the best way. You want to get out of this pandemic? Come to me. I know everything. I know how to get out of it. And then all of a sudden we're, 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 we're ordering people around. We have no compassion, no love, but we, we, we feel good because, man, you want something done right, you do it yourself. It's the American way. And then we come in and come in and snatch. He's got us again. And we are dragged away. And here's the thing. It leads us somewhere. This isn't catch and release because look at what 15 says. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. When it's allowed to grow, that means that, that we allow it. That at first, you know, we, we think, ah, it's not that bad. Just one little text. Just one little drink. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm king of the world. It can't be that bad. But we allow it to grow. And then ultimately, we surrender to it. We completely believe the lie that Satan is feeding us. We don't see the hook. And where does it lead? It leads to death. See over here, abnormal faith. We consider it joy. We know that God is growing us and it leads to the crown of life. Over here, we play the blame game. We allow it to to just kind of overtake our lives, we allow it to grow, and we surrender to the lie. And where does that lead? It leads to death. So how, how do we choose this side over this side? James has great advice. Look at what 16 says. Do not be deceived. Thanks. That sounds great, James. How do we do that? Because if we're honest, we can look back in our lives and see multiple times where we allowed ourselves to be deceived where we listened to the bait. We listened to our desires. But how do we do it? Because under our own power, we're no match for Satan. 
We just become another statistic. We, we, we are no match for that. So how do we do it? We got to go back to James 1.5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, anybody in here lack wisdom? You don't know what to do in certain situations? If you didn't raise your hand, you got pride. Be careful. All right. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. There's a few things in this verse that I love. If you don't know what to do, it's pretty clear. It's not a difficult formula. He simply says, ask God. And look what it says about God. He gives generously. Now, we got Halloween coming up in, you know, four months, and I'm assuming it's going to be normal because everybody will have masks on anyways. But I remember growing up, like, Halloween was a big deal. And we always started out in my grandmother's neighborhood. And it was nothing but C-grade candy. I'm talking Tootsie Rolls, Butterscotch, and Smarties. Now, if I just offended you, maybe you should be offended on this one, okay? We always ended up in this one neighborhood in Knack that they had the full-size candy bars. And they gave you more than one. And I was totally that punk kid that went to the same house over and over. I didn't even try to change my costume. But you know what they did? Welcome back. And they just kept giving and kept giving. Oh, you look great. That's the kind of neighborhood God operates with. He's a generous God. When we ask him for wisdom, when we say, God, I don't know what to do. God, help me to do. He's not up there going, really, again, with the not knowing what to do. Didn't we just go over this last week? Don't touch that. No, he's not doing that. Look what it says. Without finding fault. That means that we can approach God in confidence. That no matter what, we don't have to feel silly. We don't have to, to feel bad about not knowing what to do or that we messed up again. We can approach God who gives generously. He's like, yes, come to me. I have an answer for you. Let's talk about it. Absolutely. Come and I will give you wisdom. And I'm not going to hold anything against you because we need it right now. I think we all lack wisdom. So the question is, I know I've never heard an audible voice of God. If you have, we can talk about that. But when we ask God and we're kind of like, okay, God, I really don't know what to do here. Well, how are we supposed to know what God says? James addresses that. Let's go back to verse 22. It says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. So we gotta, we gotta approach our Bibles. We've got to approach scripture here. If we wanna hear God, we've gotta be in our word. And James says, don't just listen to it. Don't just come to church for 45 minutes to an hour on Sunday and, and think that that's gonna get you throughout the week. And you say, yeah, I went to church, it was great. What'd you talk about? I don't know. Well, what'd they, what'd they say? Oh, I don't, I don't know, it was great though. We sang songs and it was cool. He says, no, 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 do what it says. Because if you think that's what's gonna get you through your week, you are only fooling yourselves. And then he gives us this illustration in 23. It says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Okay, I've got a mirror up here. I wanna tell you the difference between men and women and mirrors. Okay, because guys, most men, all right, I'm not going to say all because somebody will get offended. Most men, this is how we get ready, we do our thing. This is how we look at ourselves in the mirror before we walk out the door. Right, we're done. 
don't, don't pay any attention to it. And you know us, we got stuff in our nose, things in our teeth, wrinkled clothes, stained clothes. It's usually our spouses that are like, oh my gosh, did you iron that shirt today? Now, when a lady goes to the mirror, that's not a moment in time, that's an event. Because they are in here, they are making it up, looking at good, doing the hair, getting the clothes, hitting the different poses. What's it going to look like right there? They know exactly what they look like when they leave. They know where their hair falls. They know what their makeup looks like. They know what they're wearing. They know every inch because they have put some time and effort and purpose into looking at this thing. And you know why ladies take more selfies than men? It's not about the selfies. They're checking back in to make sure they look good. They are constantly looking. They are intentional about looking at themselves. So I have to ask, how do you look at the Word of God? Is it like, like the fellas? Maybe a little bit in the morning, maybe once a week. Mm. It's fine. <laughs> What'd you learn about? I don't know. What are you reading about? I can't remember. Or is it like a lady? You're looking at it for an efficient amount of time. You're checking back in multiple times a day. Getting other people to see. Man, did you know this? You know, how, how does this look? Did you read that? Checking back in. Because... There's a promise that comes with that. When we intently, purposefully look at Scripture, look what he says in 25. Whoever looks intently at the law and the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in whatever they do. Seems to be a theme here in James. When we live an abnormal life, we're blessed. When we submit to God, we experience victory. See, so many of us, we want to hear from God, but we have no idea what he sounds like. We have no idea what he looks like. I bet there were some in here who had no idea he was a generous God, but a God who's cold and distant and just says no all the time. No, he is a generous God, a God who we can lean into, who gives us freedom, healing, purpose, life. But we've got to be in the Word. We've got to be desperate for God. Desperate to learn about His character and His ways and things that He challenges us with. Because it's then we experience freedom. It's then we experience victory and healing. And I know at times it seems like those things are impossible. Did you also know that Scripture says, with God all things are possible? It's in there. You approach life with a confidence that you never knew existed. So i got to ask you, man, what type of faith are we living here? Is it a normal? Is it abnormal? Because if it's normal, I'm guessing that your life is full of pain, hurt, frustration, anger, comparison. That when a trial hits, you don't know where to turn. So you turn to the bottle, you turn to the pill, you turn to social media, anything that will take your eyes off of what you're currently going through. I would bet that you're dealing with insecurity, that you've got a voice in your head that's constantly telling you you're not good enough. You don't measure up. You don't fit in. You'll never get through this. That's not true. That's not God. That's something else. But what if, what if, what if? Look at me, look at me. If you're checked out online, check back in. What if we lived an abnormal life, a life where we submit to God, 
a life where we know that even though trials are come, we can rejoice because we know that there's a purpose, that we serve a God who doesn't hide stuff from us, that doesn't keep things from us, but he's a God who gives healing. He's a God who gives love. He's a God whose promises are bigger than our problems. A God who just says, I will walk through it with you. And guess what? I have healing. I have purpose. I have life. Listen to my voice. So here's what I want you to do this week. Man, read your Bible. Get in your Bible. Be desperate to get in the Word of God. Read it alone. Read it with your spouse. Read it with your kids. Read it with your small group. And do what it says. Don't know where to start? Start in James. I just told you there's over 15 commands in chapter 1. You've got plenty to do this week. And I guarantee you that chapter will absolutely change your life if you do what it says. What could it look like if we submitted to God on a consistent basis, a regular basis, knowing the promises that we have? And listen, maybe you're in here and you've never done that. You would say, I've done nothing but surrender to my own desires and it's gotten me nowhere. I have no joy. What a great day to submit to God for the first time. All you have to simply do is accept him as your Lord and Savior and just say, God, I've, I've, I've given into my desires and I want to submit to you because, God, I'm tired of dealing with death and destruction in my life. I'm ready to see victory. That's all you do. That's all you say. And watch what happens. Y'all, we serve a God who's all about life change, a God who's all about victory. Let's live abnormal lives this week. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. God, for, for dying for us. God, for giving us relationship with God. And all we have to simply do is trust in you. God, you say that we can come to you when we lack wisdom, that you're a generous God. Help us to get in the word this week. Help us to be desperate to know who you are, to know your character, to know, God, your peace and your grace and your love. God, I pray for everyone in here who's just going through a trial right now that you would be very real and very tangible. And God, I pray it's through your word. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray.